0: Welcome in to 2 for one Drafts, Monday edition of 2-4-1 Drafts. I'm Austin Gale with my guy, Mike Renner. Ready to talk 2021 NFL Drafts. The 2 for one Drafts podcast is moving on. We are moving on from 2020, and we are on to 2021. We're going to talk about the offensive prospects and players to watch. Mike wrote an article recently, very good one at that. On a 2021 mock draft that's way too early and kind of worthless. And then also 2021 players to watch, some from the draft class. We're going to look at offense today. Then we're also going to interview Barstool Sports Senior NFL analyst Stephen Che. I haven't talked to this guy before, but you, you, I've heard good things.
1: Yeah, he does a uh, draft focus there for Barstool. They don't have a lot of guys that are actually serious sports analysts there. I'll just, that's not like an insult, that's kind of their, their uh, market. Yeah. But he is one of the few.
0: Yeah, I, I was looking through his Twitter earlier today. I mean, it's, it should be a good interview for sure. Well, let's get into these offensive prospects here, starting with the quarterback position. So I went through your article. I, I was super excited to read it. The quarterback position, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, all the top names. How in the world did you leave off D. Crum, Dustin Crum, the Kent State quarterback that practically broke the PFF grading system this past year? I just need to know, was this a miss? Was this a typo? Because D. Crum is ready to light it up in 2020.
1: Oh. Broke as in, how did he break it? He was not even like the highest graded quarterback, not even close to the highest graded quarterback in the country. Broke it for
0: a golden flash. I yeah. mean, can, can we get on board with that? He's the best quarterback for Kent
1: State since like Julian
0: Edelman. I mean, he let, did come on strong.
1: He cr- he crumbed on strong down there I mean, down the stretch. I don't want to. I don't know. I, Cram on strong. <laughs> I like Crame
0: the best. Anyway, <laughs> we'll get to Dustin Crum. He'll be the last guy we we'll talk about at the quarterback position. But run through some of the top names. Obviously, first two: Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields. Where are you right now? Seth Galena is leaning potentially Justin Fields. I know you're firmly into the Trevor Lawrence hype train. What's your opinion of these two quarterbacks? Is this, is this a lock to be number one and number two overall picks, or what are we talking?
1: So first, let me just say that I, this isn't going to have the same depth as usual in yeah. uh, you know, podcasts of the past. I had to go through a bunch of these guys in a small amount of time, but I have watched the quarterbacks a lot, so that I can speak with some depth on these guys but Trevor Lawrence just it's like cliche to like look forward to next year's quarterback class and say, Oh, that's, that's going to be a better class. But I think it's going to be a better class. Like Lawrence is special. And now he didn't start off last year. Well, and Seth Galina, our quarterbacks guy wrote a great article about you know his struggles to begin the year, locking on wide receiver, locking on certain wide receivers, you know, trusting them to win too often and, you know, getting caught up and just missing throws. You saw him miss throws in the national championship game as well, but The arm, the sort of just the poise in the pocket, the ability to play within structure the way he does and out of structure and his athleticism. To me, everyone's talking about Fields is making up ground on him as number one overall pick. No, it's Trevor Lawrence. It's not a debate in my mind. I would would bet a lot of money if you gave me like straight up coin flip odds, Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields, I would be willing to put like $5,000 on that right now.
0: Oh, Trevor man.
1: Us. Impressive. So, right, so as a true freshman, they don't pay us much here at PFF, so that's a lot
2: of money.
0: <laughs> as a true freshman, you're in a 90.7 PFF passing grade across 424 dropbacks. And then this past year, even better, 91.0 PFF passing grade. Had some bad games against Georgia Tech. I mean, the LSU game, just a 69.0 overall grade for him. That's kind of low for Trevor Lawrence. Well, I, I thought I had, I had some concerns with Trevor Lawrence in that LSU game. I thought down the stretch when he really needed to turn it on, He kind of crumbled a bit under the pressure, no?
1: His accuracy was, I mean, he was sailing. Spotty. He was was spotty.
0: And that's the exact thing that Seth Galina brought up in his article is that early in the season, he said through the first about seven, eight weeks, you saw just bad accuracy from Trevor Lawrence. I just don't know what to put that on. Like spotty accuracy, like inconsistent game over game, is just not something you see a ton. I I don't know. What, What do you make of that, really?
1: I'm still a fan. Like So Justin Fields, to compare the two fields might be like if the, when the ball leaves his hand more accurate of a pass or like getting where it's going might be better. But I Lawrence, like down the football field in terms of like, you go 25 plus yards is just, he is money in that range. He doesn't miss a ton of throws like in that range in terms of just like wildly missing guys. He'll hit a lot more than he yeah. uh, is off in that range. And that's kind of like the special area where he's just on another level.
0: In your 2021 mock, you had Trevor Lawrence going to the Jags at number one overall, and then Justin Fields to the Washington Redskins at number two. I really do think, just to kind of segue a little bit here, I really do think it's it's going to be a battle between the Jacksonville Jaguars and Washington Redskins for that number one overall pick. Like, I think both of those teams are in prime position to be drafting number one overall in 2020. All right. Let's There's always, like,
1: someone then where, like, injuries hit, too, that sneaks True. in that mix.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Moving down the list a bit, Brock Purdy of Iowa State, Tanner Morgan, Minnesota. Let's stop there. Really do like what Tanner Morgan put on tape at Minnesota this past year with Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson. What are your expectations for him in 2020?
1: Yeah, Morgan doesn't have near the arm that Fields or Lawrence do, and so I think that's kind of why you're not going to see a ton of hype for him. Like he's going to have to play some lights out football to get draft hype when you don't have when you don't have a big arm. Basically, like you have to be you know, in that Joe Burrow tier to, to get yourself some draft type. So I think that's what he needs this upcoming year. Purdy is the interesting one because he's played with some just terrible talent around him at Iowa state. Uh, I mean, they have nothing in the way of receiving talent, nothing in the way of offensive line talent. These guys aren't getting drafted, but he had an 88.0 grade as a true freshman, 81.8 as a sophomore, not great, but like he can make plays on his own. Also outside the pocket has some running ability, but he's kind of, he's on the shorter side. But I think he has more than enough arm. So I'll be interested to see how his, what his draft stock looks like if he has himself a big year. Because, I mean, he's kind of in that golf, Jared Goff tier of like, if he's doing it at a school that you're not supposed to be doing it at, that I think comes with some, like that that holds some weight to me in the evaluation process. All right, moving down the
0: list, what can you tell me about the man, the myth, the legend, Trey Lance? This guy's 28 to 0 or 32 to 0 touchdown interception ratio is taking over the Internet. Is this guy going to
1: unseat Trevor Lawrence or Fields, her number one overall pick? I, I, honestly, so, so uh, who is it? Someone had him in someone had him in their mock ahead of Justin Fields. Not right now. I'm not ready to get on board with that. But he has that level of talent. Like he legit does. You watch this guy play. There's like the, the obvious sort of number there. The 28-0 to 0 is what reels you in. And that's kind of fraudulent. What like keeps he, you there, Mike? What keeps they, you there? They didn't pass. He averaged fewer than 20 passes a game this past season for North Dakota State. Had, had a couple games where he had 10 or fewer attempts the whole game. So like they, they run. That's what they do there at North Dakota State. But he does have like some easy, easy arm talent, quick release and athleticism. The guy can move. He's put on over thirty pounds since he got to North Dakota State. And I I, he's like completely transformed from like a two star recruit to now. uh, I could foresee him, you know, I could foresee this being like a three pronged QB class where it's like there are three franchise guys and Trey Lance being one of those.
0: All right, so looking at Trey Lance's numbers, twenty-eight to zero touchdown interception ratio. But here at PFF, we do track turnover-worthy plays. He did have four turnover-worthy plays. Still very good, though. Yeah, no, no, still fantastic. So among all quarterbacks, FBS quarterbacks, at least two hundred and fifty dropbacks this past year, he ranked second. You know, second in total turnover-worthy plays. Tyler Huntley and Tua Tungavailoa were tied for third with six apiece. You want to know who the best? Uh, In that group in turnoverly plays was D. Crumb, baby. Kent State's Dustin Crumb with only three turnoverly plays and a 90.7 PFF passing grade this past year. That's all I'm going to say. That's a good segue into Dustin Crumb. Have you watched him at all, or is the grade just all we've got on this guy right
2: now?
1: I watched him back when I had to do an article about the draft eligible quarterbacks, and I didn't hate him. I thought he was all right, but I didn't think he was, I wasn't on board with. The hype you're about to tell me. Have you watched uh, him? I right
0: haven't enough? watched him either. I oh Jesus! <laughs> I haven't watched him either. But I, I mean, I just saw the great, I like the last name. I like the small school aspects. He's got fewer turnover He plays than Trey Lance, who's taken over the internet. I can get on board this hype train. I'm going to ask Seth to watch some tape. I'm going to get in there as well. Figure out what really we got in this Golden Flash here. All right, a couple more quarterbacks to bring up before we get to the running back position. Jamie Newman, the transfer from Wake Forest to Georgia, a guy we've talked about a bit on the podcast. KJ Costello, another transfer from Stanford to Mississippi State. And then Kyle Trask, a guy that kind of came on late with Florida this past year. Of those three guys, who do you like best and who has some real talent?
1: So Newman is really talented, but it's terrified me that like he was so different when he faced good defenses. And now some of that's Wake Forest wasn't the most talented offense, but when he went up against Clemson, there was just like, he looked, you know, who's was like quicksand. He just looked like he didn't have any sort of options, was just completely ineffective in that game. So that's scary. You'll get a very good sort of read on who he is this year at Georgia, though. I think that's a very, uh, I love that he transferred there just in terms of evaluation process. You're going to get a handle on who he is uh, as a quarterback. Costello as well. I was, I loved what I saw from him as a, I guess that was a sophomore year back in 18, 2018 at Stanford when he had, J.J. Arthaga Whiteside, when he had, uh, gosh, the other tight end there that's big who just got drafted, who I can't remember his name. Kobe Parkinson. Kobe um, Parkinson. When he had those two guys, two really good contested catch guys, he like racked up a bunch of numbers this year, didn't have near the talent, got hurt, kind of the wheels fell off. I'm interested to see how he does that with Mike Leach. Like a lot of yeah. quarterbacks going to Mike Leach, different sort, of, vastly different sort of system than what they ran at Stanford. So that'll be fun. And then Trask, Steve, Steve Palazzolo keeps telling me trask is like real deal Uh-oh. might not grade, might not show he's a florida
0: yet. homer through and through
1: he's not though he hated felipe franks which okay that was all, all of Florida though so he said he's got he's got something there all right he said. And, and he all did right. he had he did have some flashes in sec player i was like yeah this guy's all right and so he's still young uh and, and another guy who's going to look the part at six five like 240 this is,
0: gonna, this is getting me excited about the season, Mike. I love in-season <laughs> two-for-one drafts, when we're looking at games every single week, best and worst performances. should be a lot of fun with this crop of quarterbacks here. Moving to the running back position, got to start with the guy we really liked. He was our RB1 until he chose to return back to school. It's Travis Etienne of Clemson. This guy, an absolute rocket ship, good force-miss-tackle ability. I think he's the odds-on favorite to be RB1 in this upcoming class, barring that he does come out this year.
1: Yeah, Etienne, I think he would have been – top running back in our board. He's just a different kind of explosive than anyone else was in his class. Now, Jonathan Taylor had great testing numbers, but you look on the football field, ETN plays faster. Like there's no doubt in my mind about that. So I think he could be an actual needle mover at the running back position. So I, I'm a big fan of his floored, like absolutely out of my mind. Could not believe he came back. Yeah, Clinton. That one absurd. was just Did not make sense. You
0: were saying it a lot in that time of year, saying you're never going to discredit a running back for coming out early, even if he was bad. Like like you're coming out early as a running
1: back. Undrafted comes out early. Yeah,
0: it just it makes too much sense to do that because like you're entering your prime at like 20 years old. (laughs) You're entering your prime at 20 years old. You need to get to the NFL as quickly as possible. All right. Other guys on this list. I want to jump to Trace Sermon and Kennedy Brooks, two former Oklahoma running backs. Kennedy Brooks still with Oklahoma. Trace Sermon transferring to Ohio State. Both of these guys. Force miss tackles at an absurd rate. They have very, very high uh, force miss tackle rates. But both playing in the Big 12, it is what it is. Of those two backs, who do you like more?
1: I like Sermon. I, I think he, he's, so he's a little on the taller side, which I, I don't love at six foot. But he's 220. Big dude reminds me a lot of just the way he runs with Joe Mixon. And now oh, wow. that's like that's kind of lazy. Sermon is, I, I like Sermon too, school. by
0: the way. I think Sermon's the better back of the two.
1: But he just has that lower half, like that loose lower half where he can just eat, contact, and keep going. So I'm, I'm a big fan of his. Very curious to see how he does at Ohio State this year.
0: You also have Chuba Hubbard of Oklahoma State. He was talked about a ton in the pre-draft process. He was expected to come out to not. He's returning back to school. Najee Harris, the super coveted recruit, at, I think, out of Alameda in California. I remember his recruit video and for Bleacher Report, had like a bunch of kids trying to tackle him or something. This guy was so coveted as a recruit, it was absurd. His background is very interesting. Demetric Felton, the UCLA running back, you really liked. I remember early in the pre-draft process as a pass-catching type of back. And then you got Borgie in a very similar way, pass-catching back. People make the Christian McCaffrey comp for Max Borgie. I don't know if I can get there, but he's, he's hashtag he's fun to watch. I'll say that. He's also
1: fast, you're, you're, you're going to be, he's going to be called sneaky fast, but he's like actually fast. I think he's going to run the four, four this guy. You can move. Oh man. That's good. And then Puka Williams, I think has had some off field
0: stuff. I think it might, I don't want to speak on
1: it. I don't know what it was,
0: but I know it was some off field stuff that put the into, into the, on the poopoo list there in Kansas, but he is another guy that forces missed tackles at an absurd rate in the big 12. Those guys in the big 12, man, you can force missed tackles at a pretty high rate. That's for damn sure. Um, yeah. All right. Moving to the wide receiver position. I don't know who my favorite of the bunch is, but my top two guys I think are Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith. Jamar Chase of LSU and Devontae Smith of Alabama. I just love both those receivers from winning outside, winning inside. I I think those two could be the best in this class.
1: Dude, I I think Rondale Moore is my second after Jamar Chase. Okay, So Jamar Chase is the guy that I think is going to be most likely to be overthought in this draft class in that he'll come back this year there's zero chance the stats look as good. Like, it's just not going to happen. You're not going to play with an number one overall pick at QB again this year, That's and he's going to run maybe like a four or five at six six one two hundred. Like he's not going to wow anyone. I don't think he's a freak athlete by any means, and people are going to be like, oh, you know, was it just a product of that offense, whatever, and just completely forget that he was dominating guys like Trayvon Diggs, like he he, he was out physicaling them. Drayvon Diggs, a senior, as a true sophomore in the SEC, like Jamar Chase. Don't overthink this one. He's the, that good.
0: The physicality is underrated with Jamar yes. Chase, and I think he's. I think he could run faster than four or fives. I, I thought he had some juice. I don't know. I, I think he
1: could. He run was faster uh, so than five. Cameron Dancer was sticking with him, kind of stride for stride down the field, which was. The one where I was like, but
0: there, there would be ref still where you turn it on, you, you, you see him blaze by Justin Jefferson, and he clocked a better time in the forty. I don't know. Jamar Chase did look fast on tape in yeah. some bits there, but other receivers here. Talk to me about Devonte Smith, and maybe verse Rondell Moore, the Purdue kid.
1: So Devonte Smith just like has to get stronger. He's, yeah, he's listed dead. at one seventy-five. Which <laughs> if you get listed at one seventy-five, that means you're probably like one sixty-five because you're not gonna like if you were actually one seventy-five, you get listed at like one eighty-five because that's still tiny guy and he looks like it on the football field now he plays way stronger than that and plays way bigger in like contested situations but that that might not like that's the worrisome size to be translating to the nfl so i think that's why he came back to alabama just he's like i need to live in the weight room this off season i need to get a little bigger and i think he can push into the like early mid first round because he's got legit juice ran by uh the freshman from lsu who i'm just awful on names right now yeah, Stingley, ran by Stingley. And not I'm not talking Dude, about the class play. Awesome. The that game was like awesome. actual, just like, ran by and play. Yeah. yeah. so
0: that, that was the tape that really kind of stood out for me with Devontae Smith. You have Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Rondale Moore, and Jalen Waddell all going in the top 16 picks in your 2021 mock draft. Obviously too early, but just goes to show that this receiver class is very much legit. Jalen Waddell, another Alabama receiver. Dude's got speed for days, speed for days, and just forgotten. Like, forgotten because it's just there's so many mouths to feed at Alabama. He's finally going to have an opportunity to probably see 60, 70 targets in 2020, and I think he's going to make the best of them.
1: Yeah, he's, he's, he's a ridiculous deep threat. Like, that guy is explosive as hell. Him... Rondale also Moore
0: the ball in his hands, though, like uh, he's yeah. he had the highest kick return grade of any uh, college football player this past year. Like this guy put the ball in his hands and he to do numbers, but also a deep threat. Obviously, you need to see the deep production. We've said that about Henry Ruggs. You want to see it with Jalen Waddle this upcoming season. But I would not be surprised if this guy lights it on fire in the SEC this upcoming year.
1: Yeah, I agree. And then Rondell Moore is one I can't wait to watch this year. I mean, five, nine, 180, and he, he is—he's another halfback fun mind. to watch.
0: That guy yeah. is absurd with the ball in his hands. I, I saw someone call him a, like an even more juiced up Jalen Rager. I don't know where we're getting at, but like this guy, ridiculous ball not ridiculous balls, ridiculous after the catch. Very, very good in that regard. Two bigger receivers: Justin Ross of Clemson and Seth Williams of Auburn. I haven't watched a ton of tape on these guys. I know Justin Ross has some splash plays I've seen on highlights on my feed, but what's your opinion of these two bigger dudes?
1: Yeah, I think Ross is probably the better one, but I I even that's kind of going more back to his freshman tape where he was already like physically developed. I just don't see the speed there with Ross. So I'm kind of not as high on Ross at the moment. And now he gets to be the guy there in that Clemson offense this year. But uh, there was a lot of hype for him after a monster freshman year and deservedly. So, but like, I don't think he really took that next step this year. The guy I want to highlight who I think is, almost underrated at this point in time because I mean, the class is ridiculous and there's so many people uh, and he had so many people around him last year is Amon Ross St. Brown. That guy is he's kind of your tip, your pro typical like versatile wide receiver body for modern office where it's just like six one, one ninety-five, 195 kind of like CD lamb and Jerry Judy coming out where it's just like anything you kind of want them to do slot outside deep intermediate he can do so I I think uh, he's probably one of my early favorites to be my guy in the upcoming class now that's that's a tough tough ask for me as a Notre (laughs) Dame alum but he's just very good he,
0: he doesn't stretch though mike i hope you know the saint browns do not stretch i don't know if you've seen that
1: because a lion doesn't stretch in the jungle before the cheetah yeah it's a cheetah there, yeah.
0: but if Sorry. you i don't know there was like a documentary or like a 30 minute sh- like series on the saint brown brothers what the parents put these guys through to make them the athletes that they are is absolutely absurd i don't i i the quote there's like they don't stretch because cheetahs don't stretch they like the mom makes them like absurd meals every day I, you need to go back and watch that but a saint brown is built in a lab like almost oh Almost literally built in the yeah, lap so um other receivers you mentioned rashad bateman of minnesota played uh there with tanner morgan and tyler johnson this past year graded really well for us crystal Olave, ohio state thailand wallace oklahoma state tutu atwell louisville trey walker of san jose state a guy that you really liked last oh, love
1: year, trey but it ended up
0: not coming out and then sage Surratt, the big monster at wake forest that's just huge he's also slow as hell <laughs> I, I I think he could run in the four sixes.
1: <laughs> he, he is like a horse though, too. After the catch to bring down at yeah, the catch point, awesome. he just like beats the shit out of other corners. It's great.
0: I don't know who's going to be my guy in this group here, but I mean Rondell Moore is going to be everyone's guy. Like you could, he's got that he's got that type of skill set and the, those type of highlights where everyone on Twitter is going to fall in love. I think Devonte Smith is going to have a very good year. Jalen Waddell will rise up. It's going to be a very very fun group of wide receivers in 2020. Moving to the tight end position, there's some actual good tight ends. Like, there's good tight ends in this class, unlike yes. 2020. Like, there's some actual good talents here. I know you raved about Kyle Pitts of Florida, but also Pat Friermuth of Penn State is an analytical darling, according to Eric Eager, a guy that shows up well in the grading system uh, and athletic profile.
1: Yeah. So, Kyle Pitts is the guy that you watch him run, and you're like, this guy's not 240 pounds. Like, he, he is definitely 240 pounds. Like, he's six foot six, he's a big dude but he just does not move the way other tight ends move. Most tight ends like uh, run down the field and then, like one cut and that's it. Like he's actually setting up guys at the line of scrimmage. Actually the way kind of the way um, it's more tr- uh, Travis Kelsey moves that way. Like where like Travis Kelsey, Uh-oh. you just don't know he's 260 pounds. Like if you didn't, if you told me he was 230, you'd pro- I'd probably believe you because it's just like most guys 200 at that weight don't move the way he does. Kyle Pitts has some of that. I What's he listed I, at?
0: What's he listed at? Pitts? Yeah,
1: six six two forty.
0: Yeah. So I had someone reach out to me right after you sent that tweet about Kyle Pitts saying he's he's not two forty. He said they had he has to put on weight a little bit, and he says that he said if he adds weight and maintains speed and athleticism, it's a guy who's on the coaching staff there at Florida. He could be a top fifteen pick, but he's not two forty yet. But like, so maybe he he puts on some good weight there, and, and then
1: still shows out in twenty twenty. Gotcha. So he, yeah, he's. Just turned nineteen is the
0: oh holy no way yeah <laughs> oh man this guy so, he's very young. young yeah
1: so this guy he, he may not come out if he's still uh you know hasn't gained enough muscle but like he's young and talented already he led them in receiving Florida game Van Jefferson last year and, so
0: he and his tape is great like his tape is already very very good Pat, Pat Fryermuth of Penn State other than his name being awesome what, what can you tell me about this guy
1: so he's kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum he's only a, gonna be a junior, but he's already twenty one. This guy, oh, and he's he took like a year at a what are those called, like a prep prep academy or something before college, and then he's big, strong. Like the people are making the Gronk comps now. He's not holding right. these Gronk yet, but like he has that where he's just like big body to where it just guys bounce off him because he's six five, two sixty already, and strong after the catch. Can pretty fast in a straight line. Uh, really, really good ball skills. So, yeah, I think this tight end class is going to be, it's going to be like last year's tackle class, I'd say. Like, oh, Where really? this tight end that class good? actually has like legit first round talents.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. I didn't know it was going to be that good. Wow, that's incredible. All right, other tight ends you wanted to mention, Brevin Jordan of Miami and then also Jake Ferguson of Wisconsin. What can you tell me about that too?
1: Those two. Jordan's. Really athletic, but I just worry about his ball skills. Now, he doesn't have a ton of drops. Only, only three drops last year on 38 catchable, but so many body catches on his tape that I, I just worry about him being a contested catch guy, but he's like the athleticism you see every single play. Ferguson's kind of the opposite. Dude has really solid hands. Not quite the athlete, but I think his production is very good at tight end position. He's not. not sure. He's not like the some of the tight ends from Wisconsin years past who have just been like placeholders almost who rack up yards. Cause that's the offense. He actually broke seven tackles on 33 catches last year, 10 on 36 back as a freshman in 2018. So he actually has a little something to him.
0: All right. Moving to the offensive tackle class here. Penny stool of Oregon is becoming a legend overnight. I mean, everyone loves this guy. Offensive line Twitter raves about him. He's still a very young player dominated this past year, easily Oregon's best offensive lineman on what was a very good group. What would meeting expectations look like for Penny Sewell in 2020? Is it just like winning the Heisman? I don't even know (laughs) what, what, what meeting expectations looks like for this kid.
1: Yeah, there's, there's no, like, there's no way he, I don't know how to describe it. Like he, he just, there's no way he wins the Heisman, but like, He's Obviously. just ridiculous. <laughs> like he's just utterly different than any other guy, even compared to last year's tackle class. Like you watch, you know, Jedrick Wills freak, Andrew Thomas a freak. Penny stool is athleticism plus explosiveness plus strength plus size. Like all of it. And then technique. Like there's he is as good as it gets at the tackle position that like I've seen in college. Like he just Oh man. He's a monster. Like straight up. Built wasted
0: on justin herbert damn it wasted <laughs> uh the other tackles here guys that w- could have came out this past year i know we talked about a little bit in the pre-draft process previously but sam cosme of texas walker little of Stanford, and alex leatherwood of alabama i will say this the cosme stuff cosme looks awesome in some games but that that chase on game gives me nightmares about yeah, he, him. he needs
1: to get better in 2020 i think that's why he came back he just a little soft, like he's just a little play strength, just an issue.
0: And Walker Little got hurt early, right? He got hurt yes. really early.
1: Walker Little is a freak athlete. Like he was a guy who I think broke the spark record in high school coming out for offensive linemen. Just like a really explosive guy, six seven, three ten. He's listed at there. And you see some of his reps on tape, like flying off the ball as, as a sophomore where he shows it. And he looked a lot better in the one game he played last year against Northwestern, then went down with an injury though, out for the year, but expecting big things from him. And the guy Leatherwood's the interesting one to me, because I, he would have been, I might've had him above Wills in last year's class. No way. Really? Because he's, he's so smooth in pass protection. Like he doesn't, he reminds me of Ronnie Stanley coming out. Ronnie Stanley was n- not a freak. Like Ronnie Stanley was, was not like the guys we saw in this year's class athletically. It just wasn't him. But he was so coordinated and, so, and used his hands already so well and just like never got himself in bad situations that like you just knew that guy was going to be good in pass, bro. And that's how I feel about Alex Leatherwood in the NFL. So I'm a big fan of his. Ronnie Stanley's the... testing numbers, he had a 5 an 8-second 3-cone, and a 4-9 shuttle. Those that's are just like... disgusting. Uh, not good. But that's Not what fast. that's the tackle position, though, is that when you have like when it doesn't take necessarily that high end athleticism or strength to win it. A-
0: To add some grades to this, Tristan Wurst was the fourth-ranked offensive tackle in all of FBS among tackles with at least 400 overall snaps this past year, and you had 91.8 grade. Right above him was Andrew Thomas. Above him was Josh Jones. Above them all, Penny Sewell with a 95.8 overall grade across 926 snaps. That is absurd. All at left tackle. Yes, in the Pac-12, but, like, that grading, as young as he is, I I don't even – I don't know if I've seen that before.
1: I don't know if I've seen that before. No, I mean – we haven't. And, and the thing is, like, the best part of his game is screens. Him, him getting out on screens is just terrifying because he finds guys so easily. Like, he's always like you never see reps on his tape where he's like diving at a guy and falling flat in his face. It's like, no, if he goes out in space, like he gets his hands on you. There's no there's no making him miss. It's kind of wild to see
0: all right, last guy bringing up here is is Jackson Carmen of Clemson. Uh, or totaled 800 snaps last year, a 73.7 overall grade. Got beat up a little bit against Charlotte, 25.1 PFF pass grade. I guess our guy I- Alex Highsmith, uh, obviously grading profile not super impressive right now. What do you see in this guy?
1: Yeah, he's just a horse though. I mean, six five three forty five. Oh man, the that the, the guy is a <laughs> guy is a beefcake. Like he's he's gonna if you're gonna draft Isaiah Wilson in round one, you're gonna love Jackson Carmen because he get he can move the line of scrimmage. Uh, and I think he's, he's been fairly good in pass pro, uh, despite when, you know, better competition getting whooped up a little bit. But <laughs> he can actually move. And I, and I included him because I've been watching him all the way back to high school. He was the first. We graded Cincinnati High School once, and he was, in, he was a senior there. And actually, he was committed to Ohio State at the time. And just some of the blocks he made, he looked just completely disinterested because it, it wasn't fair. Like he would just kill guys. He, he was so much stronger than anyone he was going up against. I think I still have a couple on my phone that I like saved of some oh, wow. of his pancake blocks. They were just, it was like the blind side of the movie where he's just like running with guys. But he, he's interesting, I'll just say. He's a, he's a prospect to watch. So he needs to m- make some leaps though in this upcoming season in terms of like getting depth out of sets.
0: All right. Jump into into your offensive line. Creed Humphrey of Oklahoma was someone that I, I think draft Twitter really, really liked after a very strong 2018 season, but 2019 did not, did not cut it. He you know, dropped significantly in overall grade earned just a 67.3 overall grade, 58.0 PFF pass blocking grade all after earning an 84.4 pass blocking grade in the year prior. What do you think went into that kind of drop off? And do you expect him to bounce back?
1: I think Brady on really went into that drop off. He I think Bravian Roy single-handedly made Creed Humphrey return to school last year. <laughs> last year. Honestly, those two games, two Baylor games, uh Bravian Roy just like demolished him, especially in the conference championship game. Like he was just Humphrey had no sort of recourse to Bravian Roy. Dude, Humphrey build. earned
0: an 8.3 pass blocking grade against Baylor in the championship game. Yeah. That is one of the lowest single game pass blocking grades I've ever seen.
1: I yeah, Bravian just like throwing him to the side. So The dealing with power will be something Humphrey has to prove a little bit more in in 2021.
0: Trey Smith of Tennessee is another guy that a lot of people really, really like. But this guy has struggled a bit to stay on the field. He's had blood clots in his lungs, if I'm not mistaken. And it's it's really, really, really slowed his development as a prospect.
1: It's been so unfortunate because he has... I mean, he has like all the tools to be high level guard in the NFL. He's super powerful. Uh, he played all over actually as a freshman switched between like tackle guard and then switched to tackle as a sophomore as a junior back at guard, but like didn't have an off season last year. And so struggled out the gate, but then down the stretch, he was like a top five graded guard in the country over the last eight weeks of the season could have come out, but I think he can make himself some money if he has a big, like with a full off season. And now unfortunately he doesn't get a full off season again, but uh, if, if he comes back and plays some elite football, I think he'll be a first round sort of pick.
0: All right. Three more guys you want to bring up here. Elijah Vera Tucker of
1: USC and then the two Ohio state guys, Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers. Give me your favorite of those three. My favorite of those three is Wyatt Davis. And i I thought he was going to come out last year, only redshirt sophomore, but I watched his tape and I was like, this guy is like, probably second round. He, I probably would have drafted him. He probably would have been a second round grade. Probably would have been right behind Cesar Ruiz on our board in terms of interior offensive alignment. If he came out last year, uh, he's very good. And so he, he has a chance to be the first IOL off the board. If he you know has another big year for Ohio state, I think he only gave up like 10 pressures all last season, something like that. It was, and that was his first full season. I want to say as a starter, yeah. he played really well. So, Dude, uh, I am
0: freaking jacked
1: for this 2020 season. Yeah.
0: I am I am stoked. I am super excited that two foreign drafts is in full swing. We're gonna be able to look at these guys every single week, look at their grades, get put them in the dunk tank a little bit, drop, you know, drop some guys down. It's gonna be fun. Marvin Wilson, when we get to the defense, we're gonna do defense for 2021 prospects as well on Wednesday. Marvin Wilson is gonna be awesome next year because he was already fantastic. Well, he's like 19, 20 years old. Oh, yeah. In 2019, I think Marvin Wilson is going to wow some people next year. And this offensive group is also great. You got D. Crum, Trey Sermon now at Ohio State, a receiving class that could rival last year's receiving class. If it's not better, you said it might be better, right? You said this receiver class might be better.
1: It might be. Okay. There's a, I mean, there is a chance. So of these guys, it might be better in terms of like top end talent. There might be, I'd say Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Rondale Moore, Waddle, Bateman, Amon Ross, St. Brown. Those guys have a good chance of being first rounders. It's so all yep. said and
0: done. So that's awesome. And what about, so we didn't talk a little bit, and I hate to bring up back wide receivers. Have you watched a lot of Tutu Atwell? I think I, when I'm looking at receiving grades or receive, advanced receiving production, he pops up a ton. I haven't watched a ton of his tape, but like Tutu Atwell has some, an impressive grading profile with some good advanced stats as well.
1: He's another guy who's pretty skinny and they gave okay. him a lot of, it's five nine one sixty five. He was like their Jets oh, wow. king in that offense. So he's a, he's kind of like a jitterbug type, but not I, on. I don't hate jitterbug types. Not on the Rondale Moore spectrum though. But he needs he just needs to get a little bit bigger. That dude. All
0: right, we're gonna get to the defensive version of this defensive prospects for the twenty twenty one NFL draft. But before we do that, let's get to uh, our guy here. Let's get to our guy from Barstool Sports, Stephen Che. Is there NFL senior writer? Let's bring him on. Joining the Two for one Drafts podcast is Barstool Sports NFL analyst, senior NFL analyst, I believe, um, Stephen Che. Stephen, it's great to have you on. I really appreciate your time.
2: Yeah, thanks, Austin. Good to talk to you guys.
0: Absolutely, man. So, talk to us a little bit about your background here. I mean, you're a great follow on Twitter. Recently started following you, looking through your stuff. You also do a great podcast, going deep with Willie Colon. I listened to that recently as well. How did you get started with Barstool Sports, and specifically, you know, looking
2: at football the way you do? Thanks. Yeah, um, uh, it's kind of a uh... Uh, just kind of a take advantage of your situation story, and uh, I, I used to be—I think I was probably about ten years too early with uh, with esports. Um, I used to be a huge Madden player, and that's you know what it's been you know, 20 hours a week doing. Um, and I decided, you know what, when I, I was, uh, I don't know, 28, maybe I was like, I don't think I should really do this anymore. <laughs> like, I, I, I can't really uh, take this any further. And this is kind of pre-esports. Uh, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to start watching uh, all 22. So I read a couple books, um, took a couple classes uh, and, you know, uh, I became a little bit more well-versed in the all 22 uh, at the time. Vine was very big. So uh, I was uh, recording clips on my phone and putting oh, wow. them on Twitter on twitter via vine yeah so this has been a kind of a while so um i started doing that in 2015 and now it's uh 2020 so i've been uh technology has advanced and uh, my production value certainly has too i've put out you know full video clips now breakdowns of each player uh not each player but players that pop uh during each week and and that's kind of what i've been doing for the last five years um as far as getting started with Barcelona, i started there in 2016 uh the bucks thing kind of happened to be a coincidence i i'm uh I have a, I'm a business person. I am uh, the senior director of operations there and that's kind of my day job. I also, um, moonlight, I guess you could say as a producer, I produced the yak, which is on Sirius radio from uh, 12 to one every day. And then, uh, I got into podcasting. I produced, um, the formerly named, uh, laces out podcast with Willie Cologne, Dave Portnoy and Tommy smokes last year. And then, uh, when we had no, they didn't necessarily want to, Dave didn't necessarily want to get into that this year. So, um, Willie and I kind of took that project over and have been hosting uh, long form interviews um, as the Going Deep podcast. Um, so it's been a pretty fun ride. I would say that's quite the diverse background, but I want to I want to hear the story about
1: how you became a Bucks fan, because you were not from Tampa Bay, which I feel like no. if, if I think of a Bucks fan, I feel like they have to be either from Tampa Bay or the surrounding area. You're from yep. around the New York area, right? New Jersey. Yep. How did you end up becoming a Bucks fan?
2: Yeah. So my dad uh, immigrated here when he was uh, I think 17 years old from Hong Kong. And uh, in the New York, New Jersey market, they play Jets and Giants games. Uh, so they're typically in uh, corresponding slots. So one will be at one, one will be at four. So he watches both games um, and would root for both teams. So even at like, you know, eight, nine years old, I was like, all right, like, what's our what's our favorite team? And he said both equally, like whoever's winning, like we like that team. So even as, a, even as a youth, I thought that was a pretty fugazi way to pick a football team. And I was like, you got to pick one and you refuse. So uh, I went with a completely different team. I was playing a lot of uh, NFL blitz at the time. And the Bucks had a lot of new playmakers and a nice shiny new logo. Um, so I decided to roll with them. And uh, it became a much bigger thing as the time, as uh, the years went on. Did you... So the Bucs obviously are the team of the offseason. They... They've won like
1: th- this is the best time new Bucks fan since what? Oh, yeah. three, since the one Super Bowl. Did you yeah. see any of this coming? Did you have like any inkling that Tom Brady like was there a time where you thought it was actually possible that he would become a Tampa Bay Buccaneers? And when was that?
2: Yeah, so I think the national media is like really shocked. Like, wow, like he chose the super obscure team. But, you know, if you're a fan of the team, you see things Uh, More or less with rose-colored glasses. Uh, Mm. You know, you look at his weapons in New England and, you know, this year especially, they cut Antonio Brown, Josh Gordon, you know, suspension, substance abuse issues, you know, Julian Edelman is there, Gronk is gone. So, he doesn't really have a ton of weapons. When you look at the box, they're the complete opposite of that. I mean, they've, uh, drafted very well at receiver, you know, Chris Godwin, uh, you know, in the middle rounds, uh, you know, Mike Evans, first round pick, OJ Howard, a first round pick Cam rate undrafted, but you know, is a very nice player, um, they've got some weapons. So, you know, looking at his biggest complaint, we had that solved. And then you look at the coaching staff and, uh, Bruce Arians is the polar opposite of Bill Belichick, both very successful coaches in their own right. I mean, Arians doesn't have necessarily the rings as a head coach, but you know, he's he's certainly one um two-time coach of the year, won a Super Bowl in Pittsburgh, so um yeah, that that could certainly speak to so then. You look at the ties. The director of player personnel, John Spytek, was a teammate of Tom Brady's at Michigan. Uh, a good friend of uh, Tom Brady's, Larry Foot, who's our outside, who's our linebackers coach, and he was a uh, uh, you know obviously a player in the league for a while, but a teammate of Tom Brady's at Michigan. Jason Light was uh, our GM was a scout when they drafted Tom Brady. Um, you know, Ooh, twenty years. Ago. Yeah, I so. Remember. He's actually been with the with the Pats twice. He's also there. He was the director of player personnel when they drafted Gronk. So, I mean, uh, a lot of things were, were in like place. A line. Yeah, yeah <laughs> a, lot, a lot of things were in place for this to happen. Uh, I didn't think it was, you know, I definitely thought it was very feasible and certainly had a decent chance of happening. But, you know, there's talk of the Chargers and, you know, uh, even the Raiders. But teams like, you think that could possibly be a little bit more in win now, Bone. But when you stop looking at the Bucs record and look at, you know, okay, game over game and week over week, um, you know, they certainly improved and have a pretty good defense. So uh, they have, I don't want to say a ready-made team but they are certainly in a position to be a pretty good team with the additions they've made in the offseason
0: what's your opinion of the Bucks' draft? i know you do a ton of draft coverage there in your role yep. i'd love to know you know tristan worst and one of my favorites antoine winfield jr continued to throw resource at the secondary young resource there what was your opinion of this Bucks draft
2: yeah, I mean, they, they certainly it, it's it's so funny when we talk about like the draft, like all teams are like, yeah, we're going to draft best player available. Like we're not going to draft for need. Every team drafts for need. Um, and the Buccaneers certainly were no exceptions to that, especially this year. Uh, you know, the biggest glaring hole in the roster was a right tackle. And there were four top guys that were, you know, clear cut above everybody else. And uh, they went up one spot. I had a feeling they weren't going to be picking up 14. They were either going to trade up or trade down. And uh, they did make their move as soon as, uh, you know, if, if you guys read Peter King's piece, like they were trying to trade. up. I was going
0: to so, bring that up. I, I wasn't sure if you you read that one. I mean, here, him trying to trade I. up the entire first round was amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean that was uh, certainly interesting. I don't, you know. Can't specifically confirm how their board was stacked, but um, you know it seems like they got one of the guys that they coveted for sure, um, and you know, that was obviously a glaring need and they addressed it. And then to give up a fourth round pick, you know, seems kind of rich to go up one spot But at the same time. Like this is, a, there is nobody on the roster. Like when we talk about the off season, we're not talking about the addition of Joe Hague. Like we're talking about, uh, well, we're talking yeah, about shots fire to Joe Hague. I mean, oh, nobody <laughs> I, I, I've, I've heard, I've heard our personnel staff is pretty high on them, but like, you know, the, it leaves some leaves a little bit to be desired as far as getting excited about.
0: Who are some of your favorite guys not even guys that went to the Tampa Bay bucks but guys that your your favorites or your
2: guys in this draft class? Um so so you look uh, across the board kind of uh as far as like Team fits and things like that. I really like uh, what the Vikings did with getting Justin Jefferson. I think that was uh, certainly a great pick in the mid twenties. Uh, I like really what the Vikings did throughout the draft. I thought they, them, and the Ravens had the best draft. Um, the Niners, especially, reading more about how they had their board stacked with, you know, they traded DeForest Buckner. They they filled that with a certainly a less proven version, but a much cheaper version and Javon Kinlaw. And they had a uh, you know, wide receiver out of Arizona State, Brandon Ayuk. Um, they had him you know ranked next to C.D. Lamb as the top guy. And then them trading for Trent Williams, I think certainly um, was kind of a big coup wow. on, uh, I guess that was day three. Um, so I really like what they did there. I thought the Raiders had had an interesting draft kind of uh, flooding the receiver position. You know, they look at Henry Ruggs at 12, but then they also got Lynn Bowden out of Kentucky who, I would think is maybe going to play a similar type Taysom Hill role, but also play a little bit more receiver. And then uh, Brian Edwards um, out of South Carolina, who's you know obviously an interesting uh, prospect and you know good value in the, in the third, in the, late in the third round. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I mean you look at the draft and everybody after they make their pick is high five and everybody loves their picks. But at the end of the day, who's going to turn out? I think if I'm being honest. And I didn't love the value at three, but I think that Jeff Okuda, when we look back in like five years, I think he could be the best player, non-quarterback player in this draft. Oof, I like that take. I really like that take because he is, I thought he got underrated
1: from in the the national media in terms of like just how good he was compared to everyone else. Like people even had CJ Henderson reportedly, some GMs had CJ Henderson higher on their board. And that to me was just, that, you're just chasing some some speed at that point you're not actually watching both of them play and evaluating it but i really
2: i really like that take right i mean i cj henderson certainly had a faster 40 time but you know yeah. when you look at uh, just production. I mean, especially on ball production, I mean, CJ Henderson had no interceptions this past season. Um, not, not that that's like, you know, I, I think Jalen Ramsey in his final year had no interceptions, but at the same time, like he's just, he doesn't get the job all the way done that you would want. And if you're picking a corner at nine, which is, you know, certainly um, pretty high for a corner, not unheard of at all, but if you're picking a corner at nine. You certainly want a guy that's going to be a willing tackler and he's not. All right, let's go to the flip side of the coin here. What were some like first rounders that you
1: saw get drafted and you just thought, I, I wouldn't have taken that guy. I wouldn't have taken that guy there.
2: Yeah. I think maybe the most interesting one is, uh, Cesar Ruiz out of Michigan. Now, not that he wasn't, you know, uh, a- you know, towards the bottom of the first rounder, you know, first second rounder, um, I thought he was appropriate value for the Saints. I think it's kind of interesting because they have they just drafted a center last year, and Eric McCoy had a pretty good season. So are they replacing Andrews Pete? Like uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting move. But I mean, the Saints, uh, out of probably all the teams, were the best positioned to take the best player available. Um, you look at some other guys, um, Jordan Brooks, I thought was kind of uh, head scratching. But, I mean, the Seahawks make so many interesting moves around draft time, um, like over Patrick queen was uh, certainly uh, Isaiah Wilson, who kind of the worst kept secret in the NFL is this guy is going to be a first rounder, but it just, just wasn't sure to wear. Um, so obviously, you know, he's going to be the Jack Conklin replacement, at right? Tackle for the Titans. I thought uh, Cole commit, at tight end at 43 was pretty high for a tight end in this class. I mean, Kmet certainly had a great game against Georgia and, you know, is a is a nice player when he's available to play. But, you know, the Bears, I think that was their 10th tight end that they have on their roster. I know Trey Burton didn't necessarily work out, but I, any time, I, I think O.J. Howard, you know, especially coming out was a great draft prospect. I was furious when we took him at, I think, 19 or 20 because it's just like, if you're drafting a tight end that early, it's just... You know, there are so many more needs. Tight ends aren't yes. on the field every play, so I, I personally hate anytime you're going to do that early. And so, I think the Bears, a team that has plenty of holes, um, could have used any other position than another tight end. I had to take that you know, with his baseball
1: background, he could be their Trubisky replacement there. He's a Little lefty, <laughs> you use him a little uh, Taysom Hill role there. Yeah, that's why you had a tenth tight end into that group. <laughs>
2: I am. I am glad to see. um, Not that I I actually hope he succeeds, Mitch Trubisky, but I'm glad to see that they didn't pick up his fifth year option just because assuming they did and he would have had, you know, he if he either won a job or got some playing time this year, he eventually would have been benched and like told to not come to the facility so he doesn't get hurt. So not to pay him whatever. uh, Are are they
1: guaranteed at signing now or is that next year where that kicks in?
2: Uh, no, it's, 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 uh, it's guaranteed next year, but if you get hurt, it's guaranteed. So that, that, I mean, we saw I that thought with, they like, the CBA,
1: or I don't know what they did in the CBA. <laughs> uh,
2: can't, can't All right.
0: Down. Steven, I hate to put you on the spot, but I, we, we recently talked about the, the 2021 draft class. Do you have any already yep. early, early takes on this 2021 class? It's a good group of receivers. Obviously you have Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields. What, what are some early takes on this 2021
2: class? Um, I think it's interesting. I mean, we are super far off just, um, uh, Jamar Chase out of LSU is seen as like the top dog receiver. I think, you know, assuming we do have a college football season and everyone's expecting, you know, big things from Trevor Lawrence. I know that he's kind of slid down, uh, board somewhat as far as being, you know, a top 10 pick or whatnot, but I think Justin Ross, uh, is going to, uh, have, I don't want to say a bounce back, but he's going to be in that conversation with Jamar Chase for being uh, oh, the man. alpha dog, I guess, of, of the receiver class. Maybe just kind of track Trevor Lawrence and everyone's expecting him. Again, assuming that college football is played normally to have a big year. I'd expect his number one receiver to do big things uh, as well. Mike hates Justin Ross. You got to get him. On I don't hand hate right. Justin Ross. <laughs> I just said, I thought after his freshman
1: year, we were going to see like, people were giving him Larry Fitzgerald comps. I just thought that the second year like was not Larry Fitzgerald whatsoever. Like he didn't take that leap to being that kind of guy. Right. Yeah.
2: I just, I just questioned his speed. I think he's going to run like a four or five something. Mm, I mean, if it's a low four or five, it's reasonable, but like, yeah, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to get too high. Yeah.
0: All right, Stephen. Well, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Make sure all you guys follow Stephen on Twitter at Stephen Che, C-H-E-A-H. Thanks again, man. We'll have to get you back on closer to the season, talk some more draft, and maybe the Bucs doing well for once in a long time. I think they can actually play. I I mean, I think Tom Brady makes them a Super Bowl contender, obviously, and I think they've also added some pieces in the draft, also with Rob Gronkowski, to where this team will be competitive. Are they better than the Saints? We'll see. But uh, anyway, thanks again, uh, Stephen. Thanks for your time.
2: Yeah, appreciate you guys. Alright, thanks, Emil. Thank you.